This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Well, it's that time. Here he is, uh, just stepped out of the coach and uh, left his robe in the coach with the six stallions and the driver, Dr. History. Good morning. Good morning, Seb. <laughs> How are You're you? going to need a buffalo robe today. It's it, cold it, out there. Oh, it's cold. My, it's too early. It is. And the roads, uh, some of them are pretty slick. They're snow covered. Really? In town, in Burley, uh, yeah. Oh, my. Yeah, so. Well, don't try to pull those donuts. No, <laughs> I won't. Okay. What are we going to talk about today? Well, you know, several years ago, I talked, I told about Geronimo yes. during his uh, heyday, so to speak, and uh, I'm going to talk about Geronimo in his later years, the things that he went through. After he was captured. Right, oh. yeah. And I've got some quotations of him uh, that I think are pretty accurate, and I'm going to start with this one. Here's what he said. I sold my photographs for 25 cents, and I was allowed to keep 10 cents of this for myself. I also wrote my name for 10, 15, or 25 cents, as the case might be, and kept all of that money. I often made as much as $2 a day, and when I returned, I had plenty of money, more than I had ever owned before. So anyway, uh, when the Apaches were transferred from Alabama to Fort Sill, Oklahoma in 1896, Geronimo had been a prisoner of war for about 10 years. And in May of 1904, Geronimo is invited to the Louisiana Purchase Exposition being held in St. Louis. Now, he's offered a dollar a day, but he settles on $100 a month, and he stays at the fair for six months. Now, that, so $600, that's... Back then, that's a lot of money. Now, Geronimo, is where he's, when he's there, he's accompanied everywhere by two armed soldiers who stand on either side of him. The effect kind of creates the feeling that this is a warrior and that he's still dangerous, even though he's about 75 or 76 years old. And in spite of, or perhaps because of the, quote, prisoner of war trappings uh geronimo is becoming quite a celebrity as he puts it yeah but wouldn't it be in your opinion almost minimizing him you know yeah and as i go along you'll see that a little bit as we go but it's interesting because uh he says quote many people in st louis invited me to come to their homes but my keeper always refused in other words the two guards didn't go but he would go to people's homes and i guess have dinner and uh, things like that so anyway he goes on he says quote 
I am glad I went to the fair. I saw many interesting things and learned much of the white people. They are a very kind and peaceful people. During all the time I was at the fair, no one tried to harm me in any way. Had this been among the Mexicans, I am sure I should have been compelled to defend myself often. Let me ask you, how articulate, and I use that word with caution, but how articulate was he with the English language? You know, I really don't know, but based on... And again, I don't know who wrote down what he said. That's what my problem is with this yeah, conversation. Right. Is this first person or is it written by second person? That's the question I don't know. Uh, but I am going to quote him, and I'm hoping that that's fairly accurate. Anyway, but, uh, okay, so here we are, March 5th, 1905. Geronimo is invited to ride in Teddy Roosevelt's inaugural parade. The Army gives him a check for $171 before he leaves uh, to pay for his traveling expenses. Okay, Now, Geronimo takes the check and deposits $170 into his bank account. So he's got a bank at this point and leaves for Washington, D.C. with $1 in his pocket. One. One. He is not in need of cash, though, because uh, all the way to the Capitol, at every stop of the train, he sells his autographs as fast as he can write his name. And when he runs out of photographs, he sells his hat. Then he sells the buttons off his coat. And when the train leaves the station, Geronimo pulls out his suitcase, sews more buttons on his coat, buys a new hat at the next stop. You just said something earlier, though, that really lends me to think that he was educated. You said he signed his name. Right. Yeah. And I would be curious what that looks like. And I had, I have not seen what exactly that would look like. So, But anyway, when he gets to Washington, uh, Geronimo asks where his horse is. He says, I need a horse. And uh, he's told they'll find him one, so they find him a horse to ride. So the inaugural parade moves along Pennsylvania Avenue with Teddy in the lead, wearing his silk hat and grinning his big tooth grin. And there goes And then, phone. of course, Teddy Roosevelt's phone went off <laughs> yeah. right during the inaugural parade, and it's almost indicative of what happens hundreds of years later with Dr. History. I thought I turned that off. Back to the story. The inaugural parade moves along Pennsylvania Avenue with Teddy in the lead, wearing his silk hat and his big tooth grin. Next comes the Army Band, and then comes six, quote, wild Indians. And this was supposed to kind of be a before and after demonstration with the, quote, wild Indians, followed by a unit of the well-dressed, disciplined, what they called the Carlisle Cadets, showing off the government's success in guiding the Indians to be civilized. and But actually, Geronimo, he steals the show. He's the main attraction uh, for this parade. Now, no one even takes a picture of the other people or remembers them in the parade, but Geronimo is a huge hit, and he holds himself uh, tall and erect, quite calm. He's self-possessed. Men along the ra- route throw their hats in the air, and they shout, Hooray for Geronimo! And public hero number two. Kind of an interesting uh, way this happened. Yeah. I'm not quite sure why, but anyway, when Roosevelt was asked, quote, why did you select Geronimo to march in your parade, Mr. President? And uh, they said he's the greatest single-handed murderer in American history. Oh, my goodness. And he said, quote, I wanted to give the people a good show. You know, I'm sorry, but uh, this whole thing is just sounding too dehumanizing for me. I I just don't like it. Here's a, to me, an amazing... It's not showing respect at all. A a military leader trying to protect his family, his friends, his his, uh, 
posterity, everything. But anyway, it was a good PR move, uh, because especially because they had two armed soldiers guarding Geronimo at this uh, Louisiana Purchase Exposition. Now, was that for real? Was. They really were guarding him? Oh, not really. But what you I'm know. saying is, was he in custody? Was he incarcerated? All of no, this? No. Well, then why do they have to play it up that way? Just for show. Just for show. And the intent, it illustrated to the public that he was, quote, still dangerous. Right. He's 75, 76 years old. Okay. So now we move a little further. You're not dangerous, and you're a lot younger than that. (laughs) That's true. March 9th, 1905, a little later, Geronimo and a group of old-time warriors visit the White House, and this is his chance to appeal to the highest authority for a return to Arizona. They they want to go back to their homeland. Yeah. Okay. Why not? And here's what he says. And again, I, I hope this is accurate. He said, quote, when the soldiers of the great white chief drove me and my people from our home, we went to the mountains. When they followed us, we slew all we could. We said we would not be captured. No, we starved, but we killed. I said that we would never yield, for I was a fool. So I was punished, and all my people were punished with me. The white soldiers took me and made me a prisoner far from my own country. Great Father, referring to the president, other Indians have homes where they can live and be happy. I and my people have no homes. The place where we are kept is bad for us. We are sick there, and we die. White men are in the country that was my home. I pray you to tell them to go away and let my people go there and be happy. Great Father, my hands are tied as with a rope. My heart is no longer bad. I will tell my people to obey no chief but the great white chief. I pray you to cut the ropes and make me free. Let me die in my own country, an old man who has been punished enough and is free. That's kind of a touching... uh, Man, I tell you what, I'm having a hard time with this one because it just shows to me that uh, the the, uh, Roosevelt era and administration was very cruel to this man. So let me tell you what he said. Roosevelt uh, answered him, and here's what he said. He said, quote, I do not think I can hold out any hope for you. That is all I can say. Mm. Geronimo, except that I am sorry and have no feelings against you. So that's kind of the way that ended. That Was there some kind of a bill or law or something well, passed to keep him from going to Arizona? Well, eventually things do change. I see. Eventually. So now we're June 11th, 1905, a little farther. The National Editorial Association holds its annual convention in Guthrie, Oklahoma. An excursion by train brings the visiting editors to the 101 Ranch, where they witness, quote, the tiger of the human race and the Apache Terror in person. That's disgusting. Geronimo. So he is the main feature of the morning events, and he shoots a buffalo provided by Charles Goodnight's J.A. Ranch in the Texas Panhandle, and he shoots it from a car. Okay. There, this is where there's a photograph of Geronimo behind the wheel of a of a Cadillac of a car. I have seen that. And yeah. anyway, the buffalo he shoots is uh, served to the guests that evening in the afternoon. But uh, there's a song written by a guy named Michael Martin Murphy. Yeah, it's called Geronimo's Cadillac. Yes, and he wrote that because of that photograph of of Geronimo sitting behind the wheel yeah. uh, of this uh, 1903 automobile. So now a little further in the, into the fall, October 1905, um, Lawton uh, School Superintendent Stephen M. Burrett, Barrett approaches Ger- Geronimo about writing his life story. Uh, 
Now, Geronimo agrees on the stipulation that Barrett can ask no questions. Geronimo also refuses to be questioned about details or to add another word. He simply says, write what I have spoken. He didn't want anybody changing or editing what he was going to say. Why no questions, though? It's pretty hard, almost impossible, to write about something without asking questions. And he had a reason. Probably, I'm only going to guess that maybe it's because he didn't want to be trapped into talking about something he didn't want to talk about. So anyway, he struck a deal. Uh, with Geronimo, this Barrett guy did, and uh, Barrett would get half of anything that the author gets. Well, Barrett tries to get the Army's permission, but the officer in charge, a guy by the name of Purington, he refuses, saying Geronimo should be hanged instead of being spoiled by so much attention from civilians. You're kidding. So there was still a lot of animosity towards Geronimo. Well, Barrett finally appeals directly to President Teddy Roosevelt, and after a series of communications through the channels, he jumped through all the hoops. Permission is approved on the stipulation that the manuscript has to be submitted to the Army before publication. So they want to look this over, and uh, so I guess that's what they did. Anyway, so now we're July 4th, 1907, a couple of years later. Uh, after attending a parade and a picnic in Cash, Oklahoma, Geronimo starts home in the evening, but turns south and hides in the tim- timber, and they're kind of speculating that he might have been drunk. Now, this is, he had to be, what, nearly 80, yeah. right? Yeah, we're looking at pretty close to 80 by now, yeah, uh, 78, 79. So. But anyway, the newspapers kind of have a field day reporting that he is on his way to join the still hostile Apaches in old Mexico. And actually, it says here right now, he's 84 years old now. Oh, my goodness. Well, the soldiers find him the next day and take him back to Fort Sill. So now we're a few years later, 1909, February 12th. Not far from Geronimo's house, there's a Mrs. Josie sees his horse saddled on the bank of a creek. Well, she and some others investigate. They find Geronimo lying partly in the water, and they figure that he was probably thrown from his horse on the ride home and has been lying in the cold water unconscious all night. Now, some think that maybe an owl spooked his horse, uh, bucked uh, the old warrior off into this cold stream, and probably knocked him out. So now we're uh, February, uh, uh, you know, a few days later, a severe cold has turned into pneumonia. One of the scouts has told the post-surgeon who sends an ambulance to Geronimo's house, and this poor old bedridden warrior war leader is surrounded by about a dozen Apache women who refuse to let him go to what they call, quote, the death house, which is the Apache name for the hospital. Okay. Finally, returning with the scout, the ambulance brings the old warrior in. The post-surgeon expects him to die within the next few hours. But Geronimo asks that his son Robert and his daughter Eva be brought to him. Okay. Well, for two days, his spirit refuses to give up until he could see his children one more time. Well, they have not arrived, and at 6.15 a.m., he closes his eyes and uh, surrenders for the last time. So, February 18, 1909, a few days later, the funeral is at 3 o'clock. The Army grants a half-day work furlough for the Apache men so they can attend. Robert and Eva, his kids, finally arrive by train. Oh, and the funeral procession starts for the cemetery. Now, before the grave is filled, relatively, relatives uh, place his riding whip and blanket in the casket. Now, before he died, Geronimo had told his wife to tie his horse 
to a certain tree and to hang his belongings on the east side of his grave. And in three days he would come and get them. So that was his request. Now, here's something fascinating, Zeb. When his bank account is checked, it's revealed that Geronimo has more than $10,000 in the bank at the time of his death. Oh, my goodness. Which in today's dollars would be probably more than a quarter of a million dollars back then. Yeah. Now, so I know we're about out of time. Geronimo had at least 10 wives. Some historians say 12. Now, in the Indian culture... There were some Indian cultures that it was strictly monogamous, one wife. A lot of other cultures, it was okay to have two, three, four, five wives. And as I think about that, you know, you think about the warriors that died, there were probably a lot of widows and women that did not have husbands. So in some ways, I think that probably was a way of taking care of some of the But you you mentioned that he referred to his children as Robert and Eva. Right. Christian names, not Indian names. Well... Okay, so his last wife, her name was Zaya, Zaya, something like that, gave him a daughter, Eva, and a son, uh, another son named Fenton, okay? Now, Eva, this little girl of his, and this is when he was like 66 years old, he had this this little girl, Eva. Man, he loved this little girl. He was the apple of his eye, she was, and he worried about her, and he doted on her, he just... Uh, but when she was about 16, she started showing some signs of, a, of an illness of some kind. Well, Geronimo became convinced that a witch was doing it. So he had, had the local medicine man come in to try to identify who the witch was. Kind of a, a strange thing. But again, he was devoted to this little girl, Eva. And uh, one visitor said, quote, nobody could be kinder to a child than he was to her. This was a, a father, a grandfather. He was a kind person. You know, he was just trying to uh, save his people. But here's what he said uh, uh, to his nephew. He said, uh, before he died, he said, Promise me that you and Ramona, his wife, will take my daughter Eva into your home and care for her as you do your own children. Promise me that you will not let her marry. If you do, she will die. He had this feeling that uh, there was a curse of some kind. Mm. Well, unfortunately, she did marry, and in 1910, Eva died of tuberculosis oh, in 1911. So, wow. so Geronimo's fears came true that, for whatever reason, this little girl, this beautiful young lady died, uh, and he had, I guess, seen this somehow many years before. When you studied this story on Geronimo, uh, did you find other documentation historically as fact or did you find just some made-up stories I, I checked several sources and so i tried to put this together as best i could and again you know we've talked about this before it's what he said she said yeah. and uh I, to me it, it sounds but it's sad isn't it? it it really is here's a guy and i don't mean to sound trite when i say this but here's a guy that led his people against a warring faction, the cavalry of the United States, and they both uh, were with one goal, and that's to win that respective war. But after they lose, the Indians lose, and they're shipped off to all these various uh, points of the compass, they were never respected like other wars and other lost leaderships. Does that make sense? Exactly. And, you know, some reservations were on the same land that the Indians had lived on. Yeah. So there were reservations that were very good. 
and, and a good place for them to settle down. Uh, and why they tried to move these people, uh, some, and they tried sometimes to make them into farmers. Yeah. Uh, and these guys were hunters, gatherers. They didn't. They weren't farmers. And so, and actually, eventually they did, uh, I didn't mention that, uh, they did uh, let them go back to their, their homeland. Were there any, uh, I've only got a minute, oh, I've got less than that. Uh, were there any members of his family, Geronimo's family, i.e. brothers, sisters, cousins, uh, or even other children, that ever made a historical fact come to life with uh, historians, or was this about I, it? I, I could not find anything else. Wow. Uh, you know, once again, if we could find a relative of somebody, yeah. wow. it would be so great wow. to, to, be, to be able to see the actual, real, real story. Yeah, really. So I hope this was fa- fairly accurate. You did a phenomenal job on that. Thank Very you. Very good job.